We are parents, teachers, and educators. And like you, we're passionate about restoring our culture for Christ. This is Veritas Vox, the voice of classical Christian education. Welcome again. I'm Marlon Detweiler, and you've joined us on Veritas Vox, the voice of classical Christian education. Today we have with us from Memphis, Tennessee, John Hodges. John, welcome. Very glad to see you, Marlon. It is uh, wonderful to connect again. We've known each other for a long time, and we'll get into what first brought us together. But tell us a little bit about yourself personally, your family, and uh, a bit about your career and interests. Oh, my goodness. Well, I live here in Memphis with my dear wife, a day uh, of 30, uh, let's see now, 38 years. Um, and uh, our, we have a grown son who uh, is married and living in Minneapolis and has a son of his own now. So I'm a granddad Good for you. And for the first time. And uh, let's see, what else can I tell you? <clears throat> I'm, I'm a musician. I've studied orchestral conducting at uh, in university and then in graduate school. Uh, and then I went on to conduct orchestras for many years. So I'm a, I, I, that's my that's my major training. But did then I taught college as well. Did you play instruments or sing? Yeah, I'm a trumpet player. I play several instruments badly. <laughs> <laughs> I tell people I play the orchestra now. <laughs> I, I play the orchestra. That's my instrument. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Um, <clears throat> And I, I uh, uh, what else can I tell you? Um, well, I, I mean, I got into music when I was very young and I started conducting when I was in high school. So uh, uh, I've, I've been conducting, gee, I don't know, since 1973, I guess, 1970. Wow. wow, that's great. Something like that. That's great. <laughs> and then I taught college for many years while I was conducting orchestras. And uh, there I taught uh, music and art history uh, and the philosophy of the Christian faith. Okay. Uh, so, and I ran an organization called the Institute for the Arts and Cultural Apologetics. My dean liked long-term uh, titles. <laughs> <laughs> that, that leads us to some of the things, or one of the things you're up to today, which we'll get into in just a moment. Uh, as a conductor, and uh, you were also a composer, I read. Tell us a little bit about uh, your um interests in being in in composition of music well i i you know i uh, i was doing all i was conducting and i was working in various churches as well and i began to think uh, why couldn't i write some arrangements or some compositions for my own choir you know that we could use and i really wanted to encourage other people to do that anyway so i thought well why not me so i i got into that too and what it's turned out to be is uh, some composing for a musical. Uh, partner and I have written a musical uh, based on the story of Rumpelstiltskin. And really? it's called it's called Golden, and it's uh, it's in development right now in New York City. So we've had yeah. two fine workshops with Broadway actors doing our singing and reading our script and so on. And uh, we're in the process of finding a developmental theater that will run it. We, we're working with a, uh, a Tony Award winning uh, production company in New York called uh, Showtown Theatricals. They just won a Tony, this last Tony oh, uh, deal. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> uh, we're working with them and they've found us some very good people to work with. And so we've got a big team now and we've got our investors lined up. So all we have to do is write a good show. That's and. Uh, 
That's, that's what we're doing. So the process is far more sophisticated and takes far longer than most people realize. I was invited to a reading on the show Amazing Grace in New York in a uh, workshop environment and then saw it produced off Broadway Uh before it finally came on. And it was just fascinating how long and the whole process it took. That's commendable. I'm excited. I hope you'll keep me informed about how that uh, develops. Yes, we'll do our our uh, our producers want to have a um the, the buzz for the show in New York has been very good and and uh our producers want to have keep that going by having a cabaret concert of just our music uh sung by Broadway singers uh in December so we're hope we're nailing down the date right now and the location but it'll be at some kind of cabaret uh in uh in New York and hopefully we'll have some big names that's really neat. That is really yeah, neat. Yeah, it's very exciting. You've also worked uh, in church music too. Was it right. was it one or two churches where you were the minister of music? Well, I guess I've worked in one, two. Oh, okay. Three, I guess three. But the most recent and the most, I guess, extensive was um, was at Second Presbyterian in Memphis. I was there for ten years as their music director. What did you... We had a big choir there that we could do, uh, you know, big choral orchestral things. I would hire the Memphis Symphony folks to come in and play, and we'd do the Brahms Requiem or the Haydn Creation or, you know, something like that. And so it was a very big program. That's really neat. Yeah, I have I have enjoyed. I don't... Uh, I go to a smaller church right now, and... I've always enjoyed churches that had live orchestra instruments as part of the music. Yeah. Pretty, uh, it, it really is uh, uh, of significance and impact in the in the worship experience. Um, I agree. You uh, you got involved in classical education. Uh, oh goodness, this would have been back in probably 94, 93. That's right. That's that's you got a good memory, but it's about the time that you and I met. I have a good peg for it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Go ahead. We well, I was just saying that's about the time you and I met each other, probably. I think seventy. I mean, ninety, uh, ninety-five, ninety-six, something like ninety-four, right in there. Yeah, yeah. Don't you suppose? I think that's. I think that's about right. But you were involved as a founding board member of Westminster Academy in Memphis, a classical Christian school, and one of the early. Uh, schools. We met when you all uh, uh, asked me to come up there and and speak and 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 consult with the board. Uh, yeah. Tell me how you got involved in that. What was it that said I got to be part of this? Well, I was teaching college at a little private Christian college here in town called Crichton College, uh, and we had uh, designs to give what we thought was uh, the best of a liberal arts education to our students. Uh, and so I got a, got a call from, you know, Rick Hall. Rick, Rick Hall and I were buddies. And uh, he said, how would you like to be involved with getting that same kind of seven liberal arts kind of training into the to the K through 12 world? And I said, I think that sounds like a great idea. It would it would make up for, you know, we're starting from scratch, basically as freshman college level yeah. work because people weren't studying that way. 
so we were trying to do that at the college level. So when he offered that idea, I got involved and six couples got together. And it's interesting because none of the six of us knew all the other five before we started. Everybody was, you know, new to this and and represented, I think, at least, <clears throat> excuse me, at least five different uh, churches. Oh, my. So it was a big, you know, multi-faceted uh, organization from the very beginning. Uh, and that's and we I think it was 94 when we started thinking about it. And it was 96 when we opened. But in between those two, we had you out at least once, maybe twice. Yeah, uh, I, was there, I was there twice. I've often said these folks in Memphis were foolish enough to invite me twice. <laughs> oh, no. Your contribution helped clarify for a lot of people what we were after. Yeah. Uh, and so good. it helped out a lot. That's good. So this you raise an interesting question because I see a lot of collegiate initiative thinking that that's where uh, the key uh, shaping goes on for young people. But as I've been involved in the K-12 world now for more than 30 years, I see and believe that it's a little bit like what you just said. And I want to hear you unpack it more. It's too late. Yes. Yeah. Now, I will say better late than never. But sure. tell us what advantage you see for a, a, a well educated, well, classically Christian educated kid coming into a collegiate setting. How does it make a difference? It's, oh, it's priceless. What we saw so much was that uh, a lot of young people, as you know, were going off to college, having grown up in the church uh, and grown up in a Christian school, and they'd go off to college and then lose their faith. And it was a, a massive number. I mean, I, I forget what the the, the number was maybe 50%, as much as 50%. Bachum has reported it in all of uh, Christian circles, going to colleges as high as 70%. Oh, my, it's gotten worse. Now, now, that's not necessarily a permanent loss. In other words, right, right. they may come right. back, but that's what, what he's but, observed and I think has some data to back it up. Has been the case in in an undergraduate uh, time period in college. Yeah, I think that's right. I, the um, uh, the the problem is that somehow we weren't teaching our kids that academic work and the faith were were integrated, uh, so that they understood that you you didn't have to park your brain at the door to become a Christian, or get rid of your Christianity in order to be a serious academic. Yeah, N neither of those is necessary. Uh, and and we've all together as a culture forgotten that the university was born out of a Christian mind. Yeah. So uh, I can make the statement stronger, and I bet you'll agree with me that you can't park your brain. It matters who's telling the story. And yeah, there's a sense in which uh, I, I wrote an article. This goes back decades uh, that the term Christian education has a redundancy to it. Any uh -huh. right. education is necessarily Christian. We're studying God's creation and God and how he's providentially superintended his creation in order to understand what we're learning. That's right. That's right. The the kind what we consider education is today is is standing on the foundation of centuries of Christian belief uh, and what we're finding now, interestingly enough, 
in academia uh, is that there are those who are committed atheists uh, or at least agnostic about the faith who are beginning to see that the entire fabric of the culture will unravel if we give up Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking about Tom Holland, the, uh, the historian, or um, uh, um, Jordan Peterson, uh, or um, the philosophers. Um, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blank on all these names since I ha- haven't thought about them for a while. But anyway, what you're finding is uh, James Lindsay, I'm thinking in particular about James Lindsay has done a lot of good work lately. And what they're saying is, I don't believe it myself, but if we don't go back to it, we're going to we're going to fall apart. And it's because even the even the um, the left political world, you know, the the atheistic left leaning uh, political world still is so steeped in Christian thought that though they reject Christianity outwardly, they still hold to Christian principles about what is right and wrong, but they just apply them wrong. So what what we're seeing is uh, the left is is deeply involved with trying to care for and look out after the um, uh, the underprivileged, the minority, the you know that uh, the groups that are not are being oppressed. But where do you get that idea that doing that is a good idea? Well, you don't get it from the Germ- the the, uh, the Greeks. You don't get it from the Rus- the Romans. You don't get it from the Chinese. You don't get it from the Japanese or the Africans. You get it from Christianity. That's where it comes from. You see, we, we have a, a Christ that hangs on a cross for the benefit of everyone else most oppressed of all people in the history of the world uh, is Jesus himself. And suddenly we have, a uh, coming up out of the Roman Empire, a, a, a set of beliefs that are based on, on the Bible, and they then have informed us about what's right and wrong in the West forever. So we've got a West that's ignoring Christianity, but embracing it without knowing it, you know? It's a schizophrenic thing, and people are beginning to see that, and even though they themselves are not willing to be hip enough to go back to belief, <laughs> they yeah. are, uh, they're seeing that the fabric of the cu- culture is actually going to disappear, it's unravel. Tough, tough to build a building without a foundation. That's it. How do you start on the 12th floor? <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. But going back to Westminster for just a moment, describe it. Yeah. To, how would you describe the school today? Oh, let's see. Um, they are uh, now, what, 26, 7, 8 years old, something like that. Uh, they have a fine headmaster and they have uh, 480 students, something like that, maybe. Uh, it's going very well. They're For the first time, the last couple of years, for the first time, they are expanding from uh, two sections per grade to three sections per grade. A big move. And it's a big move, and as you know, uh, doing so, uh, you have to be, have to do that very carefully because you don't want to uh, uh, you don't want to dilute the the teacher uh, quality, the teaching quality going on. You have to find faculty that can take on that extra section that can continue that same quality level of, uh, of work. Uh, so it's a big deal, but they seem to be doing very well, and they're they're well established now in the in the city after all these years. I was on the, you know, as you you said, I was a founder and I was on the board for the first 10 years or so of it, but I really haven't had much to do with it since then. They'll have me in every once in a while to give a lecture or to speak to the board to try and remind them of the the founding, you know, principles and so on. They've been sticking to it pretty well. 
Yeah, always good to be. That's it. Isn't it true that we all need to have that kind of reminder all the time? Where do you, you may not be able to answer this well, but where do you see it, uh, the school that is, where do you see the school headed over the next 10 years? Hmm. Well, I'd like to think that it would continue to grow uh, without without diluting the, the quality level. They um, don't own their building, uh, but they've been renting from a very big church that has uh, has, has gotten smaller. And so this church has dwindled as the school has increased. And I think uh, the rent from the school has been a help to the church. But uh, I'd like to eventually see them in their own uh, building and with their own grounds and so on. But I think it's um, a big uh, uh, financial burden. To, and you don't want to take that on very uh, foolishly either, you know, quickly either. Um, but that would be lovely if they would have that, because as you and I both agree, I'm sure the the atmosphere of uh, and the, the, the architecture and the, the atmosphere of the learning is important as well as the content of the learning. So we'd like to see them build something that would reflect their own uh, beliefs, our own beliefs. Good. You started something some uh, time ago, and I think this is where your focus is now. Is it true that the Center for Western Studies is where you're really focusing your time today? Yeah, that's right. That's right. We have, uh, you know, after I was I was teaching at Crichton College, and we put together a a four semester team taught humanities core curriculum, uh, and it uh, was. We had three faculty that worked on it uh, together. There's a historian in each class, as well as a, a literature person and me. And I did the art and music and philosophy stuff. And <clears throat> we found that we three were learning so much from each other because we were all trained in the old way, right? In the kind of uh, 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 with blinders on to any other aspect of education. <laughs> Um, I remember I remember when I was going to music school, we were the music building was on a square with the art building right next door. And I don't think I ever saw any music faculty talking to the art faculty. There just wasn't any interaction. There were, you know, just just airtight, uh, uh, that sort of thing. Anyway, uh, we were all sort of trained that way. So we know a smattering of the other guys fields, but. To be able to sit in on lectures uh, of the other two, we each got so much out of it. And then the conversation amongst the three of us in front of the class brought this, the class into all of that, too. And what we were seeing was that kind of integrated, uh, uh, multifaceted way of teaching was really a help to the students to kind of triangulate on the ideas that we're trying to get across, you know. So... Yeah, go ahead. I didn't. I, I thought. I thought you were uh, uh, pausing there. Go ahead. Uh, just that. Just that. When the the college itself kind of came to an end, sadly, it's a long story and it's not important really. Uh, we changed presidents, and the vision of the president was different, and things started to go a different way. And all of us began to realize that you know we kind of saw the writing on the wall. It's not going to be as emphasizing this kind of a, a, approach. So we all started thinking about where we could go from there. Well, I was a musician. I was already had a foot out in the music world. So I just stepped on to uh, going on with my music career and left the college. But the other two, three, four guys stayed for a little longer. And eventually they went and got other jobs, too. But we all said, wouldn't it be great if we could continue somehow to teach this kind of integrated 
study to uh, young people, especially given how many uh, are losing their faith in school when they go off to college. Uh, wouldn't it be great if we could give them some kind of foundation before they go? Um, in fact, at the same time, a couple of people who were parents at Westminster Academy uh, had seniors that were co- that were about to go off to college, and the parents were wringing their hands about where to go and what to do. Mm-hmm. And one of them even came to me and said, what if we just give you the, the tuition and you teach our kids? Well, that was nuts. That That's crazy. We I knew we couldn't do that. But what could maybe start thinking, what could we do? Well, what we decided we could do is give a gap year program. And so what we decided was we would do as much of our team taught sort of thing in one year, starting with the Greeks and working our way through to the postmoderns and touching on five different areas that we thought were most influential uh, in today's culture. Where do we get the ideas that are influencing today's culture? And so we start with Homer and we work our way through. And we read uh, literature and uh, music and art and architecture uh, and philosophy. And so that's what we've done. And we started in 2008 uh, with our first year. And we've had a few students every year. We we purposefully make the group small. We we have a maximum of eight that we take every year. And we've never had eight. It's always been less than that. And uh, we we uh, study during the year and we travel uh, in the spring. We, we take uh, rent an apartment in Paris and one in London and we take them over there uh, and we take them to the Louvre and to the National Gallery and to Oxford and to Chartres and uh, various places where they can see and understand, uh, get firsthand information about the things that we've been talking about during the year. What a what a great experience! Now that has been an in person in Memphis, and of course right. we travel then traveling together uh, to other places. But you've you've expanded it too, haven't you? Isn't it more than that? If I remember correctly, you're doing some things online, and you're also yeah. doing some things with uh, older people with parents. That's right. That's right. Uh, a few years ago, we started doing a podcast, and they are still available on our web- website centerws.com. You can find them there or on any podcast uh, app. Uh-huh. Uh, but we've in the last two, two or three years, we haven't been two years. We haven't been able to do those. And I can tell you why. But it's interesting, uh, fascinating uh, things that God has brought us to. But we're going to pick those back up this fall, I think. Okay. But in addition to the uh, in-person uh, thing, this year in particular, we had students that wanted to come and do the year but they were in other countries and they couldn't get out of their country. They couldn't get visas to come and study. And so we thought, well, could we do a kind of online gap year for them? Uh, And as we started thinking about it, we thought, well, we don't want to do that. That's not our favorite way. We want to do it in person. But if the only way we could do it for them would be online, right? The alternative is not to do it at all. Well, then let's do it online. And that made us start thinking about all the adults that have said all along, whenever we whenever we talk to adults about their kids, the adults say, well, what about us? Yeah. <laughs> can't we do something? Can't, we, can't you do something for us? Well, we've never done it before, really, but we're, we're planning this fall to have an online adult course uh, that will teach much of what, what it is, not anywhere near all, but 
much of what we usually do for our uh, gap year students. It's going to be 10 weeks in the fall on one night a week and 10 weeks in the spring for one night a week. And all of that will be in preparation for a trip to Europe. So the things that we study are going to be uh, directly connected to where we would go uh, on a tour for the adults. I look forward to hearing how that goes. That sounds fascinating. There have been so many times over the course of our involvement through the schools that we've started and through Veritas Press that we've heard from parents. I wish I had gotten that kind of education. And you're providing a, a segment of the answer to that question, the kind of segment that a parent can af- can absorb with their re- jobs and responsibilities, and that's yeah. they can't busy schedules. That's right. Do something full time like a student's job is their career is uh, to be a student, but parents generally can't do that. And you're providing a wonderful service there. That's really cool. Thank you. In our in Thank our you. last couple minutes, I want to ask you something that I have thought about. I'm not a musician. Uh, I like music. Uh, I, I'm. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm a sophisticated listener to music, but I'm not a novice either. But I've always been fascinated by the idea that music has things that work and things that don't work. It has its its rules that musicians know. Yes, there are yes. chords that resonate with our our ability to hear as humans. There are uh, sounds that become jazz or become um i couldn't even name the terms you could but you know there are different things that make the music distinctively something that is uh it's not something else and uh i'm a mathematician i i i kind of thought i say mathematician i like math i'm good at math and and when i think in terms of math and its connection to music i wonder if there isn't some opportunity for that thinking to be developed and understood maybe it isn't i'm not aware of it but tell me tell me what has been developed that helps us understand maybe the science behind the aesthetic of music oh my goodness that's a that's a huge uh topic wonderful topic and i've talked well, about it we have with, all we've my life three minutes to talk about it <laughs> <laughs> i've 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 lectured on it for 30 years at least and uh, and I wrote my my uh, my graduate student my graduate thesis uh, on uh, aesthetics. Okay. So uh, I'm I'm really fascinated with the whole idea of how music makes sense to us and where it, where it comes from mathematically is a great big part of that. Um, Pythagoras probably is the father of all of that. This kind of discussion. You're kidding. Uh, Pre-Socratic philosopher, as you know. Yeah. And uh, he studied uh, ratios. He was very he, he was very interested in how it is that um, unit fractions on, uh, on a, a vibrating string relate to each other, and they do. If you take an entire string and pluck it, and then you stop it at half the exact half point, and pluck it, it gives you an octave higher, one octave higher. If you if you go to one third a point, you get an octave and a fifth higher. And if you go to a fourth point, it's 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 like having the half, so it's an, another octave higher than the than the length of the string. The fifth, uh, one fifth of the string gives you two octaves and a third above. And if you combine all those notes together, it's a major triad. It's it's a major chord. So if this if the entire string is a C, 
then a third of the string is a G and a fifth of the string is an E. And C, E, G is the chord that we call the C chord, like you play on the guitar or the piano. So one string actually vibrates at all of those frequencies at the same time, but you can hear the unit fraction parts. So one string actually provides you with a sense of harmony. You don't have to have more than one string to have harmony. Isn't that bizarre? This is, but this is the first time I've ever heard anyone really articulate that these things have been done. And not only have they been done, but they've been done way back. Thousands way back. Years ago, and yeah. I assume still being applied and still being developed uh, as if it's uh, a current conversation. That's right. It's It's the basis of every instrument that we have. If you think about the guitar, you've got a string, right? And you tie it off at this end, you tie it off at this end, and then you put frets on it so that you can stop that string at various places. Well, the 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 half of the string and the third of the string, fourth of the string, fifth of the string give you these overtones, overtones, so that that one low E on the guitar, for example, you hear a B and a G sharp very faintly because they're in there. And then if you play the Bs and G sharps and other Es above that on the other strings, you get what they call an E chord on the guitar because all those other strings are reinforcing the harmonics of that bass note. Does that make sense? That's, yeah, so that's fascinating. If, so the wonderful thing about music is that because you have some pitches that are in, are in consonance with that low string, you can have pitches that are not in consonance with that low string, and that's where you get tension in music. You play notes that are not in that low string, and it gives you a sense of, of uh, dissonance. And music is all about going from consonance to dissonance and then back to consonance again. <laughs> and so, in a sense, music is telling a story. It's starting at home, and it's going away to some foreign land, and then it's coming back home again to resolution, you see? So, it's a very abstract way of telling stories. Yeah, To me, it is a sad thing uh, that we have not learned the basics in many things that are so easy to learn it's so easy to understand. doesn't mean we're going to be experts in every area, but that kind of education that you just gave over the last three or four minutes is what I see happening in classical Christian education. And it's right. exciting to see those things coming back. Yes. I think we're behind yes. the curve, quite honestly, with aesthetics, the study of things beautiful. And you just pointed out uh, in very objective ways uh, opportunities for us to take advantage of to move that forward and not be behind the curve anymore. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, certainly. Can I can I throw in one quick verse that supports some of this? Please do. You all know. I'll just close with this: the the Psalm forty, uh, sorry, Psalm twenty seven, verse four says one thing, David says, one thing I ask of the Lord, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to do a particular thing. And that particular thing is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. As though beauty is in him. Yeah. And so everything that we see in this world that's beautiful, that stirs that up, 
is an, a, a way for him to draw us closer to him. So beauty and harmony is a kind of beauty. Uh, all of that ties together because God himself is not only true and good, but he's beautiful. Yeah. What a great close. Thank you so much, folks. You have been with us on Veritas Vox, the voice of classical Christian education. Thank you, John. My pleasure.